Well, great to be with you. Let me invite you to turn in your worship guide um, to our sermon text, uh, kind of about two-thirds of the way through. I'm going to read from Romans 8, 18 through 28, and then ask you to respond as directed below. Would you listen now with open ears as I read these words uh, from the book that we love? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words And Lord, I recognize that as we do come this morning uh, in a room this size, that no doubt uh, we do come from all kinds of different places. Lord, some of us come in here and we are in a season of joy, uh, a season of abundance, a season of blessing. Lord, others of us come in here uh, and we are in a season of crisis, um, of heartache, of anger, of difficulty. And Lord, I recognize that perhaps some of us are here Um, in either of those two seasons, believing in and trusting and and hoping in you and and eager to hear from you and your spirit this morning. And yet others are here and uh, we're not quite sure what we think or what we believe about you. We're not sure if you're real and if you are, if you're good. Um, And we're not sure if there will be any benefit to hearing these words this morning. Lord, I pray whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we are here uh, celebrating uh, or suffering, whether we are here with an abundance of faith or with barely any faith at all, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same. Uh, We come here with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to connect with the God of the universe through the person of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you would do that very thing this morning in our lives and our hearts, that you would break through the barriers that we erect Lord, that, that, you, that we would be confronted directly uh, with the holiness uh, that you have and with the goodness of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's so great to be with you. My name is Darren, and I am uh, formerly a pastor. So this, I'm a little rusty here. So I don't even know how to use this thing, like, you know, where it's supposed to go. And I just want to tell you, pastors are weird people, right? No offense to any pastors here. Um, but if you're a pastor, it's like, we have weird things about you. And one of the things that has perplexed my family the most in this recent season 
is that as I was making this transition in life, you know, people have midlife crises. You know, some people go out and buy a sports car. Some people, you know, they run away with, you know, their secretary or something. Um, I decided to start driving for Uber. <laughs> you know, my daughter was in gymnastics for two hours at a clip. I had nothing to do, and I thought, I am not being productive. I should go do something. So I started driving for Uber. And um, again, all of my friends are just shaking their heads at this and don't, don't understand it. But I enjoy it. I enjoy connecting with people. I think it's, to, to an extent, it's me kind of wanting to pastor people again. And, you know, I don't have a congregation, so I have a customer. You know, and it's a goal of mine every time I have a customer to try to provide such warmth and such hospitality that sometimes folks open up. It's rare, but sometimes they do. And by the way, only two out of ten ever tip, just so you know. So I tip a lot now after this. So I was driving uh, one lady one night and, you know, doing my usual thing. Hey, how's your day going? You know, hoping that this ride will be a good part of your day. That's one of my lines I say. And she's like, well... I've been in a hard season. She said, um, recently separated from my husband, and I found out that my husband had decided to run off with my college roommate. And I said, that, that sounds overwhelmingly hard. And she said, well, it is, but you know what? I'm a Christian. And she said, but there's different kinds of Christians. She said, you, you, I want to tell you. And I was like, please, tell me more. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, there's Christians that just go to church, and then there's like actual Christians. And I was like, how about that? And I said, I said to her, I said, you know, it's probably true that the authenticity of your faith really is to, can be seen when your husband leaves you for your college roommate. It seems to me that like a situation like that really proves the genuineness of someone's faith. She's like looking at me like, what? And I was like, oh, all right, fine, I'm a Christian. So... <laughs> I almost prayed for her, which would violate the Uber community guidelines. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure what quite, what, anyway. Um, but, you know, friends, uh, this is the heart of what I'm bringing to you this morning, right? I mean, this, this uh, lady that lives in Collegeville, right, who is entering this profound crisis, you know, that hurts at all kinds of different levels, um, you know, it's the question that I'm asking of our passage, and this is a, a passage that verse 28 has become kind of a cliche in some circles. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Um, the question I'm asking is, what does God want to say to you when you are in a crisis at that level, right? When you're in a crisis at the level of my Uber rider, right? And, and I also want to, you know, first thing I'm going to tell you, sadly, hopefully you'll still listen, is that... Uh, if you are a Christian long enough, as in like you don't die, right, unexpectedly, in which case your family will be in that kind of crisis, you will have a season like this. You won't have exactly this season, right? You won't, not every one of you are going to have what, what this lady had, but you will have your own version of it, right? How do I know that? Well, I see it right in verse 18. Paul is addressing a group of people, and he's saying, listen, I want to speak into what you're experiencing when at this present time, the sufferings of this present time. In verse 17, if you have your Bibles open, you'll notice that in verse 17, there's actually a condition, right? He says, you know, we will reign with Christ if we suffer with him. And so the idea from Paul is that this is going to be a reality at some point in your life, probably more than once, you know, and, and it, again, it will look different for everyone. 
I'm not even a pastor anymore, right? I just Uber for fun. And, you know, nonetheless, as I've walked with a couple of folks, right, I have two people I'm walking with right now who either were in or are currently in relationships that are characterized by abuse and control, right? Uh, I have friends who are walking with parents through uh, terminal disease. Uh, I have um, uh, people in my life whose family is experiencing a profound and overwhelming crisis. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been observing a variety of reactions to situations such as these. I will tell you that I've had my own version of this lady's crisis, right? Chrissy's right here. She didn't run off with... Dude, if you ran off with my college roommate, I mean, that would be weird. He's, he's a weird dude. <laughs> that would be its own thing. But no, she did not run off with Greg Orbino, whatever he's doing these days. Um, <laughs> Right? But I have my own version that I'm not going to go into a lot, but I will just tell you that you know, I have cursed more in the last six months than I ever did before being a Christian. I just want to be honest with you. I've done a lot of sinning, done a lot of cursing, and done a lot of anger. Right? So I'm coming to you not as a practitioner you know, from an ivory tower, but as a fellow sinner, as someone who's having presently to look at this passage and ask the question, what in the world does it mean for Darren? And I'm asking this for you as well. What does this mean for you today? So I've seen a couple of responses uh, as folks go through a season like this. Um, one response is to become stoic and to just not think about it. Oh, life is hard, but I'm stoic and I love the Lord. Most of the time in my pastoral experience, um, folks don't want to sin by being honest about how they feel, so they decide to sin by lying instead, as though that's better, right? Right? Personally, I don't think it's better. Um, but that's one uh, reaction that I've seen a lot. I just become stoic and, you know, I say Sunday school answers and I, I don't even think about it. So that's probably the more popular response that I've seen in the church community. There is an unpopular response, right? And that's to become very angry and to do a lot of cursing, right? I probably fall into the second category. Um, has its problems as well. Um, and, and it's not exactly something I recommend, but it is a second response. There's a third response that we're going to get at at the end of this passage that I'd like to set before you this morning. So what will your response be uh, when, not if, but when you face seasons such as this? And what in the world does the apostle want us to know from this passage for such a season? So let's get into it. Uh, the first thing we, that he wants us to know is he wants to acknowledge the reality of suffering and not to pretend it doesn't exist, right? So the Stoic kind of, to some extent, wants to pretend it doesn't exist. Paul acknowledges that he says the sufferings of this present time are real. And, but the, he doesn't stop there. He says they are very real. They are reality. You will experience them. It will be hard. What does he want you to know? What's the first thing he wants you to know about a season such as this? If you're in this season right now, the very first thing I want you to go home absolutely assured of, right? If you will be in the season, same thing. First point, it will not be permanent, right? What does he say? I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time, what you're presently experiencing, cannot be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The very first, the, the fundamental first point is Whatever you're experiencing, the difficulty of this season, it will not be permanent. It will come to an end. That's, that's what he's saying, as, as far as I can see. He's saying it is, it is characterized by the present time, but there is a future time coming 
where the glory, the goodness, will make all that suffering seem worth it. And then he uses a, love this analogy, he uses an analogy that gets at the heart of this better than any other uh, I can possibly imagine, and that's this, right? It's the analogy of childbirth, right? So, um, you know, I used to do visitation in the hospital and, you know, back when they let you do that, I think they, they're starting to now. And I'll tell you, you know, like, if you have, um, all of my girls have all had seasons where they've wanted to be doctors. You know, one, one wanted to be a, a pediatric oncologist. And I said, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, that sounds really sad, you know. And every time they bring this up, I always say the same thing to them. Every time I say, oh, you want to go into medicine? How about labor and delivery? That's really fun, right? Because in the labor and delivery part of the hospital, not always, but most of the time, you hear absolute groans and screams and shrieking. I mean, it's actually frightening to a man. Like, I mean, I remember sitting there with Chrissy just waiting for labor to start and just hearing these periodic, it sounded like a torture session going on. I was like, my goodness, what kind of barbaric place is this? And, you know, but something happens on the labor and delivery floor, right? Unlike the pediatric cancer floor, what happens in the labor and delivery floor? Those screams, those shrieking turns to tears of joy, right? It's like, it's like the most magical place in the whole hospital. Right? Most of the time you go to the hospital and you leave in pain and you leave you know, hoping that you'll get better, or maybe you will, maybe you won't. But in the labor delivery, probably 95% of the time, not 100, but 95% of the time, you leave saying it was worth it. The suffering, even the, the women, right? The men have it hard enough. You know, we have to listen to all this, okay? <laughs> but the women, right? Even the women, even the women leave, right? Where's Kate? Is Kate, is Kate agreeing with this? Are you, are you good for this? The women leave saying, it was worth it, right? That, that's the suffering of childbirth was worth it. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, verse 22, that the whole creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth. What does he mean? He's saying this, that if you are in Christ, that your suffering is temporary, and it's to be compared most to the suffering of childbirth in that it's extremely hard, but it leads to tears of joy. So that's the first thing that I want you to know, right? Wherever you're in that season, the first thing that you do need to know is that in the economy of God's plan for the world, that your crisis, your season, your experience, your heartache, it is temporary, and it will lead to joy that will make you say, it was worth it. That's the first point. He says it's temporary. It will come to an end. Um, the second thing that he gets into is that when you go through these seasons, you need to know that you do not walk them alone. It's the second point that he makes here that I want to uh, highlight for you. So look with me, if you would, in verse 26. He's saying... This, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit himself intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this is something that has puzzled me extremely. 
right? What is Paul saying in here, and what does he want you to know about this? Well, to understand it, um, I would point out for you earlier in our passage, in the first paragraph, uh, it says here in verse 22, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. I was just talking about that. And then verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Right, and that's kind of like, again, when you reach a crisis that you know, results in you actually like screaming, you know, some of you have that. I've had that in recent, in recent months. If you have a crisis that results in that, Paul's actually saying that, yes, this is actually, like, God is in the middle of that, of those screams. Do you see that? He's saying, we're groaning, we're experiencing a groaning inwardly, and guess what else? Who else is groaning at the same time? The Spirit is groaning. Now, friends, this is, this is very mysterious uh, teaching to me. Um, what does Paul want us to know about this? Well, as I've, as I've really contemplated this, and I've contemplated it again existentially for myself, and I've contemplated it theologically, and I've contemplated it uh, exegetically for you, this is what I think he's saying. Paul wants us to know that when we, experiencing the, we experience the groaning he's described about here, that the Spirit is walking with you, doing the same thing. Why? Why does he want you to know that? What's so important about that? How does that change your life? Friends, I believe that what he is saying is that in the character of the triune God, one of the, one of the things about God that you need to really know and understand, part of who God is that you have to get into your soul, is that God approaches your situation with sympathy. Right? You know, God, God is not approaching you just with judgment. Oh, you should have done that better. Oh, you were squeezed and you should have, should have done this better. What does it say? It says, when you are groaning, when you are screaming, right, when you are at the end of yourself, here is his Holy Spirit groaning with you. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's uh, look at it a little bit further. He says, verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us what? When? In what circumstances? When we are weak. When you are at your weakest, when you are at your most likely to, to respond poorly, where is the Spirit doing? Is he just piling on with you right there? You know, that was a bad response, Darren. You should, you should do better. No, what is he doing? He's saying, let me come and help you. That is his character. You know where else we see this? Anyone else know? Where do we see, where does God, the triune God presented as a God of sympathy? Anyone else know? Hebrews 4. Is that what you're going to say? Hebrews 4? Or we have a high priest, right, who is without sin, but is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. So when you are in these situations, you need to know that God is with you in the Holy Spirit, and he's with you in your weakness, and when when you are groaning, if you are in Christ, right, part of what's happening there is that the Spirit is actually praying for you. That's, let's look at that. That's verse 26 also. He says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
So this is what this, what's God is doing in these situations. You know, the first thing we need to know, it's going to come to an end. It's not permanent. The second thing we need to know is that if you are in Christ, the Spirit is walking with you, and he's fixing the fact that you don't know what to pray for, right? And by the way, I just want to just put this out there for you. When you're in a season such as this, most of the time, I find, we don't actually know what to pray for. We're like, do we pray for healing? Do we pray for this? Do we pray for that? Do we pray for, you know, <laughs> there's a whole number of things that we could pray for, um, and I've heard some funny ones recently. Um, we don't know what to pray for, right? And if you're in a crisis and you feel like I'm prayerless right now, very easy to happen, word of Christ to you today is that the Spirit himself is praying for you. And here's, here's the difference between when the Spirit prays and when we pray. Look at what it says in verse 27. The Spirit intercedes for the saints, how? According to the will of God. So this is what, this is what the apostle is presenting to you. You're weak, you're messed up, you're flawed, you're in a situation that is making all of those wonderful qualities come to the surface in 8K HD like never before, and here is God walking with you, praying for you, groaning with you, taking on, weak, taking on your weakness and saying, I'm going to help you in your weakness. And how does God the Father respond to that? Well, verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what the, is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then we get to our favorite verse, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see what verse 28 is saying now. He's saying the reason that all things work together for good, the reason that that verse is here is because God always hears and always answers the prayers of the Spirit as he's interceding during those circumstances, during those seasons, during you're brought to your end of yourself, and God hears the prayers of your spirit. You know, we're all down here like, I have no idea what to pray for. I just want to either be stoic, I want to curse, I want to go, I want to freak out. And the spirit is saying to the father, listen, Darren is really weak right now. So let me do the praying for him. Let me pray for him right now. And you know what God says in response to that? He says, okay, I'll do it. That is the context of verse 28. You want to know the context of verse 28? It's God hearing the prayers of the Spirit and agreeing to answer them. And ultimately, what Paul has in view here, by the way, is he doesn't have, um, he doesn't have the immediate, our immediate lives in view, right? So he's not saying, that, oh, everything will work out in the end, it's fine. Right now, people, people do die, for example, right? If you're walking with someone through death, like, they will die. And in, the, in our lifetime, it, things will not be good. Things will not be well. What Paul has in view is he says, a season is coming where if you are in Christ, you will look back and you will say, this was worth it. And you will see full and final and comprehensive redemption. You know, and it comes back to this uh, this language in verse 20, he says, the whole creation was subjected to futility. What does that mean? Right? Futility in uh, the context of where we are in Romans is that no matter what you do, no matter how good your life is, like your life is temporary and decay is always going to be a reality of your life, physically, emotionally, and, and um, 
comprehensively in every way, but God is going to redeem your life in such a way that decay will never be part of it again in the age to come. So that's the second point, right? God is with you. He is a God who sees. You know, um, a lot of crazy things happen in the Bible, by the way. Uh, if you remember, uh, you, you remember the story of Sarah, who Sarah and Abraham, they have this promise, you're gonna have this baby and it's gonna be great, you're gonna have a nice family. And Abraham's like, that sounds great. Let me, let me sleep with your, your, with your assistant over here. And, you know, that's, that seems to make sense in his Abraham brain for some reason, right? And then that happens. Hagar is, you know, conceives and everything. And then, you know, believe it or not, Sarah was like, I don't think I like this at the end. She's like, you know, this sounded good. This sounded good on paper, Abraham. But, like, I don't really like this anymore. So... Then Abraham's like, fine, we'll just send her away. We'll just send her and her kid away. So he sends them away. And you know what Hagar says? Um, Because God speaks to her and he says, you know what, listen, I just want you to know one thing. I see you. I see everyone. You've been discarded, right? You're no longer of use to the patriarch family, but I see you and I'm going to do something special in your son. And she worships him and she praises him and she said, truly you are God who sees. And I think that's the heart of what Paul is saying here in this passage, that the spirit sees you. He sees you and he prays for you. So those are the first two points. Lastly, um, and I'm going to be brief, um, the question that we do want to ask is how do we respond, right? What does this mean for you? What is he after? And and the answer might surprise you. Like, what what do you think God wants from you if you were to embrace the teaching of this passage? Like, what would your, how different would your life look if you embraced the teaching of this passage versus if you're just here surfing X and Snapchat and you leave without hearing anything? Like, what's the difference? Like, what's going to be different about the person who's sitting here, like, surfing Instagram and not paying attention versus someone who's really dialed in and connected with the Holy Spirit? What's, What's the main difference in Paul's mind, going to be between those two groups of you, right? What's the main difference going to be? What does it look like? Well, the word that he uses here, I would point out to you, uh, is this language of verse 25. He says this, if we have hope for what we do not see, that's faith, right? What What does it look like in Darren's life? What does it look like in your lives? We wait for it with patience. You want to know the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life in seasons of suffering and difficulty and being brought to the end of yourself? And this is, again, I am speaking to you as a sinner who is trying to learn these things, right? What does it look like? It looks like patience. You become more patient. And you know what's interesting is that I was talking about different responses, right? There's the response of stoicism, which is really a form of lying, in my opinion. Um, And then there's the response of just... being very angry, very angry with God, sometimes very angry at your situation, your circumstance, um, which, is, which is often very negative uh, as well. There's a third option, and that option, I believe, is wrestling with God, asking the question, God, what do you have for me in this? What do you want from me in this? How do you want me to grow and change? And God, let me remind you of your promise to bless me. See, Jacob was commended, I believe, for wrestling with God in that way. And I will tell you, pastorally, that's what I would like to see this morning in response to this teaching is, I would love to see wherever you are on the spectrum of all that I've said, would love to see you go out of here and say, God, I want to take you at your word more than I already do. 
And one of the ways you'll know that it's true is that you become more patient. You be able to, you're able to endure more things, right? Because you know that it's coming to an end. You know that, that, that you're not alone. You know, when you feel alone, man, you do crazy, crazy things, right? When you feel like I'm all alone over here, I'm all isolated, I have no help, I have just on my own resources, like that's a terrible place to be. And so God says, no, you're actually not alone. You're with the Holy Spirit. And then he, he closes with this passage, with this promise of verse 28 where he says, not only are you not alone, but God has guaranteed the outcome. He's guaranteed that he will work in you something very good. So, um, as we consider this, what I'd like to exhort us all to do is to ask the question, how are we interacting with the Lord in these seasons? Are, are we interacting in faith are we interacting in the flesh? And you know, uh, it's so interesting, by the way, to me, that it's really the spirit who's uh, filled with sympathy. It's really, you know, in, in the, the theology of, of Trinitarian uh, Christianity, it's here, it's the spirit who is overcome with sympathy. But, and it reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ who comes to earth, who gives us this table as a means to saying, you know what, I see you. I see you in your sinning. I see you in your weakness. I see you in your doubting. And I want you to know that I am going to groan with you, not just figuratively, but Jesus, he said he let up loud sighs and tears, that he groaned for his people, that he experienced physical and spiritual and emotional pain, that he was betrayed for his people, that he went willingly into the depths of the earth and, and all that happened in, in that situation for his people. And as we come and we take this meal, I hope that for you that this meal can truly be uh, the, what its name is. The, its uh, name is the Eucharist or the place of thanksgiving. I hope that as you come this morning that Christ leads you to say thank you. Thank you for loving me this much. Thank you for not leaving me on my own. Thank you for not abandoning me when I was at my worst. Thank you for being my Lord and Savior. Let me pray for us. Father God, we praise you, and, and Holy Spirit, we adore you, and Lord Jesus, we worship you. God, I thank you that you are with us when we are at our worst. I thank you that you are a God of sympathy. I thank you that the um, suffering of this present time uh, is not permanent. It's temporary. I thank you that you are at work in our lives in a mysterious way uh, to bring about good to bring about change. Lord, I pray that you would renew my faith this morning and the faith of all of us gathered here. I pray that we would walk out of here changed people, that we would walk out of here with a, with a deeper hope as shown in a more resilient patience. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.